Golf and rock and roll, not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Do I know hackers to get my way? The boys and me got a big NASA going before the drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. Orlando, you're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G. And we have a great lineup for you this evening as we uh, kick off the 2015-2016 wraparound PGA Tour season. Yes, it's true. We barely take a breath from the President's Cup to start right in with the Next PG Tour season, the fries.com. And uh, hats off to Team USA, beating the international team 15.5 to 14.5 at the President's Cup. Quite a thrilling finish to the singles matches, which uh, were played on Sunday. Or if you were me, you were watching early Saturday morning or Saturday night, Sunday morning, and uh, there was a ton of drama going on uh, as those matches wrapped up. And we're going to waste no time and bring in some of the best of our golf insiders this evening, including our favorite, Bob Herrig from ESPN.com. Hey, Bob. You say that to all the riders you bring on, don't you? Never, my friend. Never, never. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, hey, I, I got to say that, um, you know, the President's Cup has taken some jabs a little bit uh, in terms of the U.S. team dominating this event. It being right. labeled as a, you know, an exhibition with a lot of uh, tchotchkes bestowed on the players, as you pointed out in your story. But, wow, this one delivered. And just curious of of your thoughts and has the president's cup stepped up in terms of its uh you know its its place in the in the tour competitions well i've always enjoyed it and and thought it was a shame that it uh you know that it was sort of viewed that way uh but but you can you can kind of understand why i mean it it was always going to be compared to the Ryder cup uh which is hard to do uh it's hard to match the history of the Ryder Cup and, and why the Ryder Cup is so important. And, and, and of course, then there's the whole aspect of it, it just not being that competitive. You know, I mean, when one side wins all the time, and let's be honest, if you, if you read up on any of the history of the Ryder Cup, there was, a, there was a time there in the late 70s and early 80s that they were wondering if it was going to continue because the U.S. dominated it. And that's why they, you know, expanded it to all of Europe and, and once Europe got competitive and started winning it, then it became a big deal. So, you know, I, I understand that side of it. Uh, having the international team give it such a good fight this time, and really the whole thing came down to the final match and the final green. 
you know, we don't even always have that in the Ryder Cup. So um, I thought it was terrific, and um, you know, I hope it's uh, I hope it continues. It's it's nice to see the players on both sides care so much on both sides care so much about it. Well, and the outpouring of emotion on both sides, you know, this certainly led up to an amazing, dramatic, emotional finish with uh, Bill Haas, of course, uh, Captain Jay Haas's wild card selection and his son playing against uh, Sang Moon Bay, who had just the weight of the entire country of South Korea on his shoulders. And, of course, uh, his last professional competition before going off to mandatory military service. I mean, you know, we say this oftentimes when we're talking post-round and post-championships. It just was an amazing story. Absolutely. It really was. I mean, that it, that it kind of came down to that, and that's how it worked out. Uh, you know, uh, that, was, that was interesting in and of itself, you know, that Bill Haas ended up getting in the last spot. You know, I, I wonder if Jay really thought that through like that. Uh, um, that he could you know, possibly putting his, put his son in the hot seat? Yeah, but see, the other side of it is, is if he if he didn't think it was going to come down to that, well, then is he sitting there thinking, well, his match isn't going to matter? I mean, it's I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that bodes well for Jay either way. I'm, you know, I'm sure he would have wanted his son to play a meaningful match, but you know, you, a lot of times when they put these guys out last, it's not because they think that they're going to be the ones who have to do it at the end. It's more because they think that it, it might be decided by that. So. Um, uh, but that certainly wasn't the case. And, you know, Sang Moon played terrifically to get it to the last hole and had a great President's Cup himself. You know, he was, he was, he was a star player before Sunday. And, and uh, you know, as we all want to do, uh, they're second-guessing, to you know, uh, big time. And it was surprising to me that, that Sang Moon didn't play the first day. Uh, and that was the day that the Americans took the four to one lead, and maybe it would have been different if he would have got to play. Who knows? It's uh, that's one of the always, I think, one of the fun aspects of the Ryder Cup. It's uh, and, and now the Presidents Cup is usually so close that you just second guess everything about it. And it's uh, it's it's not like a real golf tournament that way. We're not sitting there doing that very often about the first round of a golf tournament. But yet in these things, every point you can sit there and you know, dissect it back and forth. Yeah, and he had a great match with Danny Lee uh, in the in the third round. Uh, did everything he could to give the international team a chance, holding that 10-foot putt on the 16th to stay one down and nearly holding a bunker shot on 17, needing to win the par 5 18th to share the cup. And, uh, oh, gosh, you know, that that short chip, it's one of those I think many of us have faced. It's tough, you know, the... It was a, a tight lie, and when the nerves hit you and, and those muscles tighten up, um, we've all been there. No doubt. It was, um, you know, it was eerily similar to what happened to Hunter Mahan in 2010 at the Ryder Cup in Wales. Um, you know, you're, you're down, and you've, you've got to make something happen. Um, it's a totally different shot than, I think, the one where, you know, if you're playing your own ball and you're you're just trying to save par, you know, he, he kind of knows he's got to get that ball close. And uh, giving yourself a 10 or 
footer, you know, obviously in retrospect would have been a lot better than what he did, but still that probably wasn't going to be enough. And uh, he needed to apply the pressure to his opponent. Who was, you know, Bill was in the bunker. You know, if Sang Moon hits that thing in there tight, that makes that bunker shot a lot harder. And, uh, you know, obviously it didn't come off, which was heartbreaking to watch because, uh, you know, how much it meant to him and, and how, and, and how, you know, all the eyes were on him there. Well, he certainly handed with, handled it with tremendous grace uh, afterwards. And, but to just, you know, see the swing of emotion there as he sank to his knees and his uh, caddy uh, consoling him. And, and then afterwards, uh, you know, Jay Haas choking up um, with the big win and, uh, you know, being so proud of his son. So uh, that, this, this President's Cup really seems uh, one for the, for the memory banks. No doubt. Question in terms of biggest surprises. Jason Day going 0-4-1. Uh, you think the gas was just out of his tank? Yeah, I don't think there's much doubt about it now. I mean, I just, he just had to be, uh, you know, just really spent. Um, you know, uh, to, to not win a single match when, frankly, you know, obviously – you turn any of those zeros into a win, and, and it's exactly the opposite outcome in the in the whole tournament. You know, it's it's uh, you know obviously you had a partner as well that that uh, that that was that was part of it. Uh, but you know he could have still salvaged his singles match on Sunday, and he never really seemed to be in it against uh, Zach Johnson. You know, Zach put it to him quickly, and 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 you know Jason never really was in it. Uh, so. It's unfortunate for him, you know, because a, a good showing by him might have meant that the President's Cup could have been won by the internationals. I mean, they, they had great play out of Brendan Grace. Um, they had a pretty good showing there out of Sang Moon Bay. Um, you know, they had a couple of other guys. Uh, you know, uh, Us Heisen played quite well. But, uh, you know, their star didn't. And, and, you know, how often have we seen that? That happens, that happens a lot. I mean, the... The, the guys playing the top players are motivated to do well against them. You can imagine that Phil, you know, Phil and uh, uh, Zach, I believe, played them the first two days, and they were very, very motivated to win. I mean, and you almost have this sort of, um, you know, nothing-to-lose mentality. Phil and Tiger have faced that for years. Whoever plays them in these things, you know, kind of goes out there knowing, look, nobody expects me to win. I'm going to give it everything I got. And, and that's one of the reasons why those guys have poor records in the Ryder Cup. Uh, those guys are very inspired to beat them, but they don't feel the same pressure because they know that they're not expected to beat them. So I wonder if that was a little bit the case with Jason Day. Listening to the Golf Insiders, Bob Herrick from ESPN.com talking about the President's Cup. Uh, Phil and Zach, interesting pairing, going 3-0-1. Phil, of course, a captain's pick. Were you a little surprised in the singles matchup uh, of Jason Day and Zach versus Jason Day and Jordan Speed? Yeah, you know, the way that came down was um, it was set up there for Jay Haas to put Jordan with Jason, and he elected not to. He decided to put Zach against him. And I don't think it was so much because he didn't think that Jordan could beat him, he wanted to put Jordan one group later because he thought that the ninth position, the ninth in the lineup, is often where it's decided. And, you know, the way it came down, you know, Jordan lost his match, uh, his singles match, 
Um, you know, but had he won it in the ninth spot, I, I'm pretty sure it was at a point where the U.S. would have clinched. So, so Jay was correct in that. It just didn't work out that way. And, um, you know, in a way, I, I think it's good that it didn't happen in a weird way. You know, everybody kind of wanted that. And at the President's Cup, the captains can make it happen, unlike the Ryder Cup where it's a blind, you know, the, the pairings are, are blind. But, you know, to me, that showed that the event mattered more than just giving people a singles matchup show. You know, we've, we've had that many times because there was nothing else. I mean, by the time it got to singles, the lead was so big that, you know, it was unlikely that the internationals were going to win. You know, they, they had too big of a deficit. So, oh, let's give them Tiger and Mike Weir. You know, um, let's give them, you know, some of the other matchups that we've seen. You know, it was, it, it was contrived. And, um, you know, which to me was a little bit of a, of a knock on the event. Now it wasn't that way. The captains were thinking it out with, with true strategy as to how they wanted to approach that final day since there was only a one-point difference. Couldn't agree with you more. And so as we look to this week and weekend, the Fries.com, the beginning of the 2015-2016 season, oh, my gosh. We need a break, Bob. Yeah. What's yep. your thought? Um, you know, I'm I'm sort of one that I, I I like the idea that these tournaments in the fall count. I never thought it was a good way to do it the way they did it before, where you have these tournaments after the tour championship that still counted. You know, the tour championship should be the end. Uh, but that said, I've got no problem with them starting the new season uh, now. But to do it only two or three weeks after the last event just to me is and. and it, that that is not good. It, it, you don't give your fans any chance at all to to miss the sport. Uh, and also, you know, another thing that's missed is the guys who are out here uh, off the Web.com tour. You know, the 50 guys who who've earned PGA Tour cards through the Web.com. Well, they just played two weeks ago. I mean, they and, and they all came off a four tournament run in their Web.com finals. And now, because you know the playing opportunities are greater in the fall, you feel like you've got to you got to play, and so these guys are exhausted. And I just I just think that there's got to be a better way. And you know, I've written about this before. You know, the the tour is is very very much about offering its um its its members playing opportunities. They're not going to cut cut back the schedule, even though even if contraction would be better. They're just not going to turn their backs on six million dollar tournaments. They, you know, the players would probably revolt. Uh, but at the, by the same token, I don't think they're doing the, the uh, you know, the overall health of the game much good to to have to have there be so much golf. There there needs to be a, a little bit of a break right now if they want to come back at the end of October and play for three, four, five weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. Uh, with you know, I've propose like a Pacific swing. So the golf tournaments are at least on at night in the U.S. You know, go to Hawaii, go to, go to Asia then. Maybe play a tournament in Australia. Make it something that's unique. And then take the break again through the holidays. Wait a couple of weeks in January till after the, you know, the, you know, the college football season's over, and then let's start up again. But right now, it's just like it's so wall-to-wall. Uh, not only is it a big drain on the players, but I think it's a lot to hold the attention of fans who have so many other options, you know, and uh, it's, um, 
it's tough to ask them to be invested, you know, in a tournament that counts now for for a season that won't end until 50 or 49 weeks from now. That's um, that's a that's a, just a long time, and um, I, I, you know they didn't ask me though, but I wish they would change it in some way. Well, I like that thought. I like that thought of more primetime golf. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch the President's Cup because of that. Although I got to say, when I woke up at about two in the morning watching those final matches, I didn't sleep the rest of the night, and it was uh, it was very exciting. But um, we're uh, we're off and running. Bob Herrig, as always, we appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. you Listen to the Golf Insiders. the game. We'll be right back with more Golf Talk. Quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. I really hate to lose. Asking forgiveness. Got the struggler's blues. Struggler's blues. We're back. The Gulf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house. Holly G. Along with my right-hand guy behind the glass, Mr. Mike Venditti. Hey, bud. Well, that's an accident. Hello, how are you? <laughs> What's Somehow that? Your, I skipped own, a pause. Your, own, your own theme song yes. music there? I wanted to have a song uh, and just happened to use your song. Well... <laughs> The Americans won for the sixth straight time at the President's Cup. Fifteen and a half to fourteen and a half only. This was one that came down to the final match. Uh, the emotion was never stronger on both sides. And, uh, of course, incredible drama with U.S. Captain Jay Haas and his wild card pick, son Bill Haas, delivering the winning point to his team. It truly was... a uh, a fantastic finish, and we're going to go to uh, one of the big dogs in the world of golf, the editor-in-chief of Global Golf Post, Mike Perky, to give us his thoughts on this amazing President's Cup finish. Hey, Mike. How are you? How are you? I'm good, my friend. Uh, it's hard to believe we've closed it up over in Korea, and we're starting up again this week at thefries.com. When does the season end and start? I've, I've lost track. When do we get our 19th hole break? <laughs> Come on. Somewhere around Christmas. I think so. Uh, give me your thoughts on this President's Cup. As we know, the Americans have dominated, but, uh, of course, a little change in the scoring uh, this time around by Captain Nick Price on the international squad. It seemed to pay off for them, even though they fell a little bit short, but held their heads up high. You know, Holly, you got to give Nick Price a lot of credit. He uh, he stood up in front of the media two years ago at Muirfield Village and said, if we don't change the format of this thing, there are going to be problems. And what he animated was that there were going to be some players who wouldn't play. And he took that to PJ Tour Commissioner Tim Fincham and said, this is the way it is, and we need to do something about it. And so Fincham reluctantly agreed to reduce the number of points from 34 to 30, and that proved to be very vital to the international team because what it allowed Price to do was keep his best players on the course and be able to sit some players that normally would have played under the old format. He could sit them on 
Saturday the ones who weren't playing well and keep his best players out there. And as a result, you know, they have Saturday, basically. They uh, they have the both sessions, and it allowed Price to have a chance on Sunday, and they had a real chance on Sunday. If if Chris Kirk doesn't make his putt and Anurban Lahiri makes his, we're having a different conversation right now. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of focus on what happened uh, to Sang Moon Bay on the 18th, but uh, that that match right before uh, with Kirk's birdie putt, and of course, you know, Lahiri chipping it so close and missing the four footer. Uh, that... If you walked up on the green and, and say, okay, I'm going to bet you which one misses and which one makes, never would have made that bet. We could have made a lot of money and, uh, at FanDuel, don't you think? Right. So, you know, it's interesting to me because I look at the challenge on the side of the international captain, and, and Nick Price said, he said, you know, I can't tell you what it's like to bring eight countries together, six different languages, different cultures, and the fact that, you know, these guys have to bond over a week's time, you know, with a, a, a lot of different barriers. But, you know, as opposed to, say, in the Ryder Cup, where the European guys are used to playing together, of course, the Americans used to playing together. Uh, you know, it, it's a, you know, it's a different, it's a different ball game with these guys. How do you make pairings? I mean, it's easy to put the South Africans together, put Ustazen and Grace together. And it's easy to put the Australians together. There were plenty of those. But what do you do with Lahiri and uh, Tongchai J.D. and Matsuyama and Sang Moon Bay? He tried Sang Moon Bay and Danny Lee together, and Danny Lee just was not playing very well that week. And then he put uh, Sang Moon Bay with uh, Matsuyama. And they said afterwards that uh, Matsuyama didn't know any Korean, but Sang Moon Bay knew Japanese, and that's how they, that's how they uh, spoke. They spoke in Japanese the whole time they played together. Isn't that crazy? Like, there's, a, there's enough yeah. to focus on, right? Exactly. Well, I, that to you me... Know, I, that's, that, that's Nick Price's toughest job, is to find guys to play together. It's, it's a very difficult proposition. I thought he did a great job. I thought he did, too. And to me, that is one of the compelling aspects of, of the President's Cup. Uh, you know, though many times, you know, it, it's it's been sort of, um, I think, poo-pooed, you know, in terms of the competition. But I, th- I think it has gone to another level. And, and given what you do in terms of making us more knowledgeable about the international players, I think it's become a much more exciting competition. Well, you know, before, you know, we were, we were looking at players like, you know, Ernie Els and Greg Norman and Nick Price, and we all knew those players, um, and they put up a good fight. But now, you know, with those players kind of aged out of this thing, and Nick Price is the captain now, you know, we need to learn about some new players. And and we only see them, you know, a few times a year on on, on Golf Channel playing in European Tour events. And, and um, if we get to know them a little better, it'll make this competition a little more compelling. So as we look at the finishing, there's still there's still some golf out there to be finished up. Um, uh, the Champions Tour vying for the Schwab Cup. They're in San Antonio this week, and quite a uh, cutthroat competition coming down there between Colin Montgomery, who's having an extraordinary year, uh, Jeff Maggard, and, of course, Bernhard Langer. 
It's a lot of fun out there in the Champions Tour. You know, Colin Montgomery has breathed uh, some fresh air into the Champions Tour. And in the past few years, you know, it was Bernard Langer and nobody else. And Montgomery has come over to the United States and apparently been embraced by the American fans. And he likes America. And, in fact, he likes it so much and he has such a fear of flying that he's been driving to most of the tour stops. And he said he wanted to do that so he could see the country, uh, but partly it's because he doesn't like to fly. And, you know, I, I, think, that's, uh, uh, I think that's just a breath of fresh air. Uh, he's, he's compelling. He's funny. Uh, he can still play. Uh, if you've ever heard him do television, he does television. It's great. He sure does. Um, I think he's an asset for that tour. I do, too. We're talking to Mike Perky, the editor-in-chief of Global Golf Post. So quickly, Mike, your thoughts as we're entering uh, the 2015-2016 season, Fries.com. They've got some good players showing up this week, Justin Rose, Brooks Kepka. Who should we be keeping our eyes on? Uh, I think we need to keep our eyes on Roy McIlroy. Um, I think he's, uh, he's tired of not being the number one player in the world. Uh, I think he's... Uh, uh, pretty close to being healed with his ankle. Uh, and I think he's going to start this wraparound season. Um, you know, he doesn't have anything to prove, but I think in his own mind uh, he's got something to prove to get himself back to being the number one player in the world. I, I, think, I think this week is going to tell a lot about uh, what his season is going to be like. Well, it says a lot, too, how this wraparound season has been elevated in terms of these tournaments giving the you know the guys coming fresh off the web.com uh, a chance to get some momentum going into the new year and of course now that uh, we start over the fedex cup makes these tournaments a, a lot more interesting and fun so mike as always we appreciate you spending some time with us check it out global, globalgolfpost.com you get it free every morning and i'm sorry every monday morning straight to your email box one of the best in the business thanks mike so much you listen to the Golf Insiders 96.9, the game. Stay with us. More golf talk coming up. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, it's my job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play in pebble, won't pay the price. I love my muni. We're back. The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of I-4. Doing a wrap-up of the President's Cup. There was a lot of excitement coming down in the singles matches, and probably the biggest putt belonged to Chris Kirk in the second-to-last match on Sunday's singles. The only American who had never played in a President's Cup or Ryder Cup especially because of the shocking turnaround in the match and in deciding who would win the gold trophy. If you remember, Kirk was all square with Anraban Lahiri of India. Both were short of the 18th green. Kirk hit it a little bit too hard. It went 15 feet by the cup while Lahiri played the perfect shot to within about four feet. So it looked uh, pretty clear like the advantage was in Lahiri's pockets. However, Kirk, as stoic as they come on the PGA Tour, Slammed his fist down when he put when his putt took that one last turn and dropped into the cup. 
It looked as though they would have the match until Lahiri's birdie putt hit the right side of the cup and spun out. He let his putter fall over his back in disbelief. And the man who was right there on the bag watching all the drama play out is our very next guest, one of the best PGA Tour caddies in the business, G.W. Cable, with us on the line, back from the President's Cup. Hey, G.W. Hey, what's going on, Holly? How are you? Great. Long time no talk to you, my friend. And uh, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, Tell us what it was like to be part of uh, that closing clutch moments of the President's Cup. Oh, it was it was amazing. It was such a thrill um, just to be there with all the guys. Um, it was an amazing week. We had such a blast, and um, for it to come, I mean, you couldn't have you couldn't have written a better book. I mean, the way it ended with it all, it was just an amazing week, and uh, it was just great to be a part of it. Uh, they, there was a lot of remarks about. Uh, Chris, you know, being kind of the cool customer that he is, really letting out all that emotion when people, you know, especially a lot of the a lot of the media say, ah, oh, the guys don't really, you know, care so much about the President's Cup. It's more of an exhibition. Share with us what it, what it was like to be there. I mean, this was incredible drama as the singles matches played out in seven, I think, out of them finished on the 18th green. Yeah, I mean, that's what, it, I mean, it just made it so, so amazing. And um, it just goes to show you what, um, you know, these team, these team events do, because uh, like everybody thought, Kirk, you know, he's, he is, he doesn't show much. And it just goes to show you how much passion and just um, thrill it really, you, you're playing for your country. So, I mean, it just, I mean, it all comes down to that, I mean, with all the drama there and just all the built-up anxiousness, I'm sure, it just goes to show you how amazing these team events really are. Is it different for you, the caddy, in these moments? It really is. I think it's different for everybody. You know, you hear these guys, um, the greatest players, talk about it all the time. And obviously with uh, Chris up and coming and such a great star himself, the emotion that went into that, you, it, it's it's like no other. And yes, as a caddy, even just being there in that moment, and it, it's just, uh, it really is, it's, it's so different than anything else. So you, were you uh, standing with the group as you watched the final match play out with Bill Haas and Sang Moon Bay? I was. We, uh, once we completed, um, we stayed there, watched Steve, uh, Steve finish up, and then we ran back down the fairway and caught Bill on uh, 17 and uh, got him watch, uh, finish up on 18. And uh, like I said, just to be with all the team and all the guys just as a team, it was, uh, it was so amazing. So was this your first President's Cup? It was, yes. And how have you uh, participated in the Ryder Cup? Is there a, a difference in terms of, you know, the 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 team competitions, I mean, have you experienced the Ryder Cup before? I, I never have, but I have, you know, it, it is, it, from what I've heard from uh, some of the guys, it's, the atmosphere is a little different. It's, it's just, you, you can't, you can't really explain it, they say, because just, this, it, it is probably a little bit more emotional, and then all the fans, I mean, it's, they said by, um, 
John Wood and I, who caddy for Bill and he caddies for Hunter um, normally, we were out shooting some pins early in the morning on the first day. And we got to the 18th hole, and he goes, G-Dub, the 18th, This all, all the bleachers here would have been filled by now. And this is 8 o'clock in the morning. And he was like, at a Ryder Cup, this would all be filled up right now. So, I mean, it just – it's obviously a little different, but it's still the same type of, like I said, you're, you're still playing for the United States, and it's still that team event where it's, you, you, just, you, you don't want to let down your teammates and you want the best for your country. And that's what was so, um, like I said, so thrilling about the week for me. Well, we got to see and witness a lot of this group, the Fanatics. Tell us a little bit about those guys. Yeah, they're... Uh, Oh man, there's there's something special every you know every day on every match. They obviously put in a lot of time and effort into what they do, and they've got something uh, for everybody. And it was it was so cool getting to see them go crazy, and we got to spend a little time with them after uh, after everything was done on Sunday. We got to see them on the 18th green, and then spend some time. Uh, partying with them a little bit afterwards, so that was really cool too. And how? When did this start? How did they come together? You know what? I, to be honest with you, I don't know exactly when they came together, but I do know they're at. I mean, I, I know they were uh, they were in Australia for for um, the one over there, and then they were at Mirafield for the one here. And I believe you know they do. Uh, I mean, they do pretty much all of them. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, and it certainly adds a, a lot of fun to, to the event. What was it like going to South Korea? Had you been there before? And how does the time difference and the travel impact the players, especially coming off the, you know, the long playoff run? Yeah, it was um, actually for myself, it really uh, it was better than I thought. I'd never been there before. Um, I've, you know, we've done like China, uh, Japan, and Malaysia, and the first time I actually on a long, um, one of the longer trips to China that I ever did, it was really it was very tough for me, um, because I said you know we had gotten there and then I I had fallen asleep and I didn't set an alarm. So the guys you know you always have to if you do get there and you're kind of laying down, you always should set an alarm for so you don't fall asleep too long. So I did that actually the first day we got there. Uh, we went up and just kind of put our stuff together, and I laid down and I set my alarm for like an hour. So I fall, fell asleep, and then I got up and we, you know, you get to just kind of get around and try to make yourself just stay up as long as you can. To try and to. So this time it was it was okay for me, and you know, to be honest with you, I think these guys nowadays it's such a huge, you know, it's such a world tour, and I know the guys just came off of the um, the obviously the tour championship. But you're, these guys are so used to traveling these days, so I feel like it's it. There, everybody get, is getting better with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite part of your job, GW, as a PGA Tour caddy extraordinaire? Yeah, uh, you know what? It's um, honestly, it's every day you, uh, we get to do something so special. I played for years, and um, now I obviously caddy, so. It's something that I've loved, and it's been such a passion for me for for years. And it's just so special to be able to wake up every day, to be out there with uh, just great people and, you know, friends that you've been around for a long time, and to 
and to do something you love, you know, it's, uh, it really is. It's like a dream and it's amazing to be able to do that every day. I'm very, very lucky. Well, we appreciate you spending some time with us. I know you're going to give us some, uh, reports now and then on the golf insiders in the upcoming season. So we appreciate hearing more from you in the future. GW cable. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Anytime, Holly. Thanks for having me on. All right. You're listening to golf insiders. We've got one more segment coming up. Stay with us. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so lean and mean. I got back. The Golf Insiders wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk in the house, Holly G. The President's Cup ended on Sunday amid tension not felt in years. The drama, the mental pressure, and it's time for our favorite mental conditioning coach, Dr. Bob Winters, to break it all down for us. Hey, Dr. Bob. Hi, Holly G. Hi, my friend. Well, I tell you, you know, the singles matches always put you on the edge of your seat. But to watch this play out as we've been talking for the whole last hour truly was extraordinary. Um, tell me what you were thinking as the drama unfolded between Bill Haas and Sang Moon Bay on 18. Well, I think, you know, it was something we've been talking now for a couple of weeks. I, I thought it was going to come down uh, right to the wire. Uh, I hate to be Nostradamus here, but I knew the international team was much deeper uh, as you went through, you know, the roster than what a lot of people imagined. And, and to have Bill Haas, obviously, you know, to, to play for his father, you know, and to have his father pick him against, you know, Korea's own Sang Moon Bay, who is going to be his last tournament before he goes into two years mandatory service. I mean, here you've got, you know, a wonderful Hollywood movie script. And as they're coming down, you know that both of them, you know, really want to deliver the goods. Uh, Sang Moon actually had, you know, just a couple of, you know, little slip-ups. Or it could have been, you know, totally different. But I tell you what, it was a great, great uh, emotional uh, win for Team USA, but also a moral victory of sorts, you know, for Nick Price and Coach McNulty and Coach, you know, K.J. Choi and Coach uh, uh, John Stone. I think the international team represent, represented themselves wonderfully. And this is really what you know, this type of team match play competition is all about. You never know who's going to win until you actually key it up and you have to compete. And that's really what we saw here. So I just thought it was great theater, great drama, and unbelievable golf. Uh, explain from a mental coach's point of view, you know, you probably – one of the toughest chips you could have, right? Tight lie, you know, tight pin uh, to execute when you've got so much pressure on your shoulders. Well, I mean, the point of it is, Holly, in, in any type of sport, you, you have to take a look at what is presented to you, what is versus what could happen, what if. And that's really being in a focused mindset, being in the moment. And so when you are presented with that shot, if you allow the enormity of the moment to sort of tighten you up, uh, that's really when we get into trouble. And it isn't just saying that you have to do the same thing and just go through your routine, but this shot has so much value. And what we're trying to do is make the enormity 
very neutral in value. We're trying to actually be as functional and almost as golfing perfunctory as we can possibly be, meaning that it's sort of the, the boredom of excellence. You've done this a, a million times, and you have to let the run, that run off automatically. So uh, you have to take a look at the condition. You have to take a look at your lie. And then you go in with a committed mindset, and you do the very best you can in that moment. And when people duck chips, when people hit bad shots, or even people hit great shots, Holly, it is what it is. You did the very best you could under the circumstances at that moment, and then that's the whole point about acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean you have to laugh it off or cry it off. It's just a neutral, objective result. It is what it is, and then accept it and move on. And that's really what we teach. Well, you know, he you would think the momentum was certainly in his favor. Uh, you know, he had that fantastic putt on the 16th to stay one down, nearly hold the puncture shot on 17 to extend the match. So it seemed like the momentum was on his side. Well, you think about that. But what we know about the home court advantage or any type of home advantage is sometimes it becomes kind of a disadvantage, Holly, because you have the expectations and you have the wantism. You want to bring it home so much, not only for your international team, but it is in front of your Incheon City, you know, South Koreans. It's in front of your country people. You are a national hero. And you can either be the champion or you can be kind of, uh, you know, the goat here. And it's, uh, you know, sort of a make-or-break situation. So, Sometimes that home court advantage, that momentum, it can change in a heartbeat. And I think that's really what we saw. I can't think of anything more pressure cooking. And, uh, of course, you know, with all eyes on South Korea the whole week and uh, just, you know, the, the showcase of, of the city and the whole venue. And so for saying Moon, you think it's a... I mean, is it going to be a positive or a negative? He's now going off to this mandatory service, having to, you know, sleep on this for two years, so to speak. Uh, or do you think, you know, he'll have the mindset to, you know, just jump back against, again, taking a two-year layoff is tough enough? Well, it's a two-year layoff. But i got to tell you, the excitement, you know, the wonderful, you know, the big shots that he made all day long. And you can sit here and, and sort of, you know, mope, mope and have a pity party and think about all the bad things. Oh, I didn't bring it home. But you actually have to, you know, pat yourself on the back and look at it and go, man, look at all the great stuff I did. Look at the stuff on 16. Look at the stuff on 17. I put myself in a position to win this thing. And that's really all we ever ask any player, whether it's red, white, and blue or it's, you know, purple, green, and gold. It doesn't really matter. It's just that's exactly what we're asking every athlete. And that's really what I love about working with high-performance athletes. They're doing the very best they can with their talent, and that's why competition is so wonderful at this level because, hey, you know, some days you have it, some days you don't. But I'll tell you what, after it's all said and done, you reach across the way and say, well done, well fought, what a great match. Well, you have a great new book out called Mistake-Free Golf. We know that uh, so much of the game is what goes on between the ears, as you tell us frequently when we sit on the couch with you. Tell us one of the other mistakes that you cover in your book that uh, can help our listeners with their game. 
Well, I think the biggest mistake is that people, you know, often get ahead of themselves. So many times, instead of playing great golf, we start playing the game of counting. We start playing the game of totaling our score, or we project our score. For instance, you have a player that starts off, you know, maybe two or three bogeys, and they're sitting there saying, okay, let's get three over after the first five holes. If I par in, let's see, I shoot 38. If I shoot 38 and 36, I, you know, total out 74. Okay, I can live with that. They're already totaling up their 18th hole score, Holly, after about the fifth or sixth hole. They still have two-thirds of their round to play. So that's one of the things we've got to quit, you know, having people do. You've got to quit making the mental mistake of counting, of being this human calculator. Play each shot as it comes. And that's what you hear every great player from the Lydia Coes to the Jordan Speeds, everyone. You hear them say, I took it one shot at a time. I didn't get ahead of myself. I didn't want to look at any leaderboards. I wanted to play the shot in front of me. So this is what I say in Mistake-Free Golf, a first date through your golfing brain. Now, the, the name of the book is Mistake-Free Golf. And what I'm trying to do is, is help people realize, listen, you're a human being. You're going to make mistakes but we're going to eliminate a lot of the what we call unforced errors in golf. We're going to make a lot you know, fewer mistakes and have a lot you know, better shots and have a lot more fun and lower scores. But that's really what it is with mistake-free golf. But I have nine mental mistakes that we really have great prescriptions for, great strategies, and I'll tell you what, when people read it, they go, wow. That's like having Dr. Bob right there in my library or in my golf bag. We love having Dr. Bob right there. And if uh, they want to purchase the book, they go to Amazon.com or can visit DrBobWinters.com. Thank you, Bob, so much. We always appreciate your time. And uh, we will have you on in the next couple of weeks as we start the new season. You listen to the Golf Insiders. Thanks for listening. We got to go. Be back next week.